Good morning, Gospel Hope. It's such a blessing to be with you this morning. Uh, both Pastor Manuel and I are truly blessed to start this partnership with you. And this morning, before I preach, I will first like to show you uh, a little bit of myself and how God has uh, called me to the ministry and sent me to plant a church in the Dominican Republic for the last 17 years. And uh, before I show you some pictures, I do send greetings from my church, Pacto de Gracia, uh, from San Cristobal in the community of Pica Pica, from my pastor who works along with me, Pastor Karel, and also my dear wife, Sara, sends greetings. She was here with you back in September when we were briefly here on a Sunday morning, and we were able to share a few words to you, and you pray for us. Uh, we're glad to be here and participate with you in this Sunday, uh, and I'd like to start, I don't know if you're looking at the pictures, okay, that first picture that you see there was 17 years ago, holding our first gathering under a tree, and the next picture shows you when Pastor Rod was speaking to us uh, back in their last trip when we were training our leaders uh, into this DNA of multiplication, and Pastor Manuel was actually translating for us that day. Uh, the next picture that you will see there is of Manuel. Manuel helped us, even though he remained here in the States, he's pastoring in Juliet, he helped us in different stages of the church plant. And eventually, you will see another picture of him preaching throughout as we kept growing in our church plant. He kept coming back and joining us and ministering with us. So we're glad that Manuel and I have connected throughout the years. And now God is sending us together to plant a church now in a city area where we are praying that God will use us to bring this uh, multiplication vision to the entire island. You also get to see another picture of one of our deacons named Johnny. Johnny there is being baptized along with his wife, Evelyn. And by God's grace, Johnny is being developed into a servant leader who is soon, soon going to become the next generation of local pastors at our church as we move on and transition. And the next picture you're going to see is of Leo, an example of a kid who grew up in our community, who came to know the Lord in a young age, and he's also a deacon in our church. He married to Janilsi, and both of them are the first couple of kids married after the gospel came to Pika Pika. They're expecting a child, and Leo is also soon to begin pastoral training. So both Johnny and Leo are going to be the ones that we're going to hand up the work of Pica Pica so that we can move on to plant this new church in Santo Domingo. So we're glad to be here. We're glad to share a bit of what God is doing. I know we'll be speaking a little bit more later at the international dinner, so I hope most of you will stay with us so you can get to hear some of the questions that Pastor Rod will be asking us so you will know more of what's coming uh, eventually in the future in the new church plant. But I will now love to share with you God's word, so I will invite you to go with me to Psalms 96. Psalm 96, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 3. And after we read this, we're going to pray and ask for God's grace and for the Spirit to take over this moment as we consider God's Word and we allow uh, the Word of God to transform our hearts and develop a vision of uh, sending and of us going on mission together. So this is what the Word of God says in Psalm 96, 1 to 3. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. 
proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Father, thank you for allowing us to just celebrate your heart this morning. You are the greatest missionary, and you display your heart to us when you send your son to come and rescue us and restore us back so that we will glorify you and enjoy you forever. Thank you that we now have the privilege to participate in your wonderful plan of redemption. And you want to use us as your instruments. So as we come to your word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit will descend upon this meeting. And you will change the way we view this short life on this world. And that we will want to consecrate the remaining days of our lives to join you on this great mission that you have to bring sinners back to repentance and faith in your son and form a people from all nations that will be with you forever. Bless this morning's message in Jesus' name. Amen. We should all marvel when we get to behold the glorious manifestation of God's creation. Actually, Psalms 19.1 reminds us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. God's glory is wonderfully displayed for all of us to ponder. The universe, the galaxies, the planets, the stars, the sun, the moon, the earth, the sea, and, and everything that is in them. As we contemplate the complexity of the entire universe, of our planet, even of our own bodies, all of these things should us, leads us to perpetual announcements of God's creative power and wisdom, causing all of us to proclaim, God, you are amazingly glorious. There is no one like you. You alone are God. And I don't know about you, but I am particularly amazed at how God designed the glory of the sun to be reflected on the moon, to shine its light during the night. This is truly remarkable how God, in order for us not to be left pitch black at night, He strategically designed the moon to shine forth some of the sun's light for our enjoyment and our practical benefits, even at the darkest hours of the night. And dear brothers and sisters, in this natural phenomenon, we find a tremendous parallel between God's people and the moon. Just like the moon has no ability in itself to produce and shine forth light unto the world, so it is with us. Before, when we were part of the sinful world without Jesus and without God, we were in darkness. And actually, we were the darkness. And when Paul said in Ephesians 2 that we were dead, in our trespasses and sins, he describes that what came out of our hearts was darkness and more darkness to this darkened and cursed world. But when God, out of his own sovereign purpose and for the praise and the glory of his name, he chose to save us. He did it by shining forth the brilliant light of his son Jesus Christ upon our hearts. And at that very moment, all darkness was repelled, our eyes were wide open, and for the first time we could see ourselves exactly as we are, rebellious and defiant sinners, full of guilt and shame. And in the blinking of an eye, 
that thunderous light that manifested our sins also shone even brighter to unveil before us the wonderful and loving cross where our Lord and Savior Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And there by the Spirit, we were led to embrace by faith the perfect, completed, finished work of the Lamb of God that appeased and satisfied God's anger against our sins. And how grateful we should all be to Christ. What a Savior, what a powerful Savior we have in Jesus. A river of joy and gratitude should be storming down our hearts for what we have received in Him. Eternal salvation, free reconciliation, irreversible justification, complete redemption. Brothers and sisters, like Ephesians 5, 8 says, At one time we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. After our union with Christ, we have been strategically designed in the gospel to function like the moon. We have now been placed in this spiritual universe to reflect the light of Jesus Christ to the world. God has intentionally established and sent his people into this dark world to shine the glory of Christ to the nations. We've been given the privilege of salvation by grace. And because of this, our rational response to what Jesus did for us, who left his Father's glory to come to this sinful world to die for us, this very sacrificial act of Jesus in our behalf should humbly cause us to respond back to him and say, my God and my Savior, you deserve nothing less than the total consecration of my entire life place in your hands so that you will use me in any way possible <coughs> to shine your light and glory to the nations. That's the heart of Psalm 96. But this should also be the heart of every follower of Jesus who considers this short life on this earth as a platform to make Jesus known and to declare his glory to the nations. And this is basically the message of this psalm. Because you've been blessed with the glorious gift of salvation by grace in Christ, you are strategically called and sent to declare the glory of Christ in his wonderful work of grace to the nations. As you know, the Hebrews knew the book of Psalms as the Psalter, the book of praises. And this particular psalm is located in a group of psalms which altogether were written and inspired to praise Yahweh for his character and deeds. These psalms are messianic psalms prophesying a day when in God's plan of redemption all the nations will bow down in faith and obedience to the one true, the God, to the one true God, the God of Israel. But in this psalm, the psalmist is inviting all creation to praise God. He's extending an invitation to all nations to acknowledge God's glory and uniqueness, to bring offerings to him and to give testimony to his name. But more than an invitation to praise God, this psalm is a serious call. It's a serious call to God's nation to evangelize the heathen, that is the Gentiles. 
So again, this is the basic message of this psalm. Those who now rejoice in the God of salvation must now tell the good news of salvation, inviting the whole world to praise his name. Now, if you look closely at these first verses of Psalm 96, you will notice that there is a climax in the first part of verse 3, leading us to the main mandate. It says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. The prophetic nature of this psalm has been partially fulfilled in you and in me here in Atlanta and in the Dominican Republic because other generations of followers of Christ obey this call. And their obedience to this psalm not only brought glory to Jesus Christ, but also brought salvation to our lives. And that's why we're saved today. But this psalm continues to call every generation of God's people to continue declaring Christ's glory to the nations. But that means that none of us can escape this reality. This new calling we have in Christ. This is our purpose. This is our mission. This is what we're meant to be in Christ. This is why we've been left and sent into this world. But how can we accomplish this? The Spirit who inspired the Word has given us a strategy on how to fulfill our calling to declare the glory of Christ to the nation. So according to this psalm, there are two practical ways in which you and I can and must declare the glory of Christ to the nation. In the first way is by worshiping Christ before the nations. So if you're going to passionately declare the glory of Christ to the nations, the first determination that you need to make is this, you must worship Christ before the nations. That's why verse 1 and 2 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. And again, as you know, repetition is part of Hebrew poetry, but it's also almost used in every language to emphasize and elevate something to a place of importance. And the psalmist here repeats three times that the first means whereby we declare Christ's glory to the nations is through singing, that is, through worship. And from this, we learn this important truth. God created us to worship. He created you. He created me to worship. Our God delights that all his creation give him glory. He's longing for his glory to be declared through our worship. And the great mystery about worship, it is that as we glorify God, we find our utmost joy and satisfaction in him. Satan and sin have been lying to us since the beginning, leading us to idolatry, which is substituting the true worship of God for the worship of ourselves and of Satan and demons and other created things of this world. Since the beginning, sinners continue to be fooled into idolizing money, power, fame, pleasure, knowledge, and the strength of our passions are so real, but they are led to worship the wrong things. But today, we must choose whom we're going to worship. The point is, we're all worshipers. 
Deep down inside, there is a God-given desire for us to worship, but every person needs to decide who are you going to worship. And I want to announce to all people this morning that the reason why Jesus came to this world was to restore us back to worship God alone as the sole purpose of our existence and to finding him the true joy and lasting peace we could not find anywhere else because everything was empty but in Jesus Christ. Now there's something you need to know about this Psalms. About the book of Psalms in general. In Psalms there are both hymns and there are songs of thanksgiving. But there is a distinction between a hymn and the song of thanksgiving. The hymn Praises God for his actions, exalting him for who he is. The hymn is a descriptive praise. God is this, God does this in general terms. But the song of thanksgiving praises God for a specific, particular deed done for his people. The song of thanksgiving is a declarative praise. God has done this specific thing for me. Thanksgiving songs praise God, not in anticipation of an expected deliverance, but in response to something already received. And this is similar to what happened with the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt by God's power and grace. After God defeated Pharaoh with an astonishing display of his superior power against all the gods of Egypt, and after the people of Israel were delivered in a miraculous way, crossing the Red Sea through dry land, when they saw all their enemies conquer before their eyes, what did they do? What and how did they respond to God? When they saw that great salvation, they worshiped. They worshiped. Grace applied in their hearts, experience in their lives, Christ coming to them, redeeming them from bondage and slavery, moved them, caused them to worship. They said in Exodus 15, 1 and 2, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will extol him. Brothers and sisters, if we have truly experienced God's saving grace in our hearts, the power and the blessing of redemption should naturally move our hearts to declare the glory of Christ in worship. There's no other way. When we respond in awe and gratitude for what he has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, reverting our condemnation, making us his justified and holy people, when we consider and measure the prize our Savior paid to redeem us. And how Jesus executed the sovereign plan of the Father. Canceling the record of our debt that stood against us. With all its legal demands. Setting it aside. Nailing it to the cross. Disarming the rulers and authorities. Putting them to open shame. Triumphing over them. Conquering all our enemies. Seeing death, hell. Our natural response should be to fall down on our knees. And praise the one who died and rose from the dead for us. And so in this way, gospel hope, worship, worship becomes a means of testifying 
a means of witnessing, a means of declaring the glory of Christ to the nations. But notice that this psalm clearly says it three times, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord. And even though worship is commanded because of our sinful weakness, true worship is the overflow of gratitude that causes us to explode through singing and obedience. We worship him because he created us and continues to sustain us, which are extensions of his wonderful common grace to us. But we worship him even more for how he has saved us through his son and how he's sanctifying through his spirit. So worship testifies, worship witnesses, worship declares to the world who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So this should drive your personal worship, growing in grace in your personal time with the one who saved you because you want to know him. You want to please the one who gave it all for you. And this should also drive your congregational worship as you prepare and plan throughout the week to come and gather together with God's people to praise his name, showing the world that Jesus is the preeminent one in your life and that he is worthy and deserves that you put aside all the other cares of life and consecrate the day of the Lord to bow down before him with his people and grow in grace together. This should drive your worship in suffering. How you testify and show your faith in God while you go through the difficulties of life, being transformed into the image of His Son. This should also drive your obedience in every area of life as you consider that worship is not a Sunday duty, but you seek to glorify, glorify God in every moment of your life, while you're at home, while you're at work, while you're at the store, while you're driving your car, in every relationship with your husband or wife, with your parents or kid, kids, with your teachers or classmates, with your employer or co-workers, with the family or simply with strangers. You are meant to worship by becoming more and more like the ideal man in all you do. And in all your relationships, whether you eat or drink, your life's pursuit is to do all for the fame and glory of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we're doing missions as we worship. Because the glory of Jesus is shining forth through us to the world. It's true. Worship includes singing. And you are called to sing to the Lord with all your heart. But worship is more than singing. Worship is more than playing in a band. Worship is a way of life. The Israelites were called to live differently than all the other nations and conform to God's holy commandments, not as the way to earn salvation and acceptance before God. Remember, the sacrifice of the lamb with the shedding of its blood came first before they left Egypt. And then God gave them the tablets of the Ten Commandments later. At Mount Sinai, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And then we obey the commandments in worship. Because this new way of life points back to the love and to the grace and to the holiness of the one who saved us. And is now restoring us so that in everything we do, we may glorify him and enjoy him forever. We said this psalm teaches us two practical ways in which we declare the glory of Christ to the nation. The first was worshiping Christ before the nations, but the second one is proclaiming Christ's salvation to the nations. 
So if you want to passionately declare the glory of Christ, you must proclaim Christ's salvation to the nations. That's exactly what verse 3 says. Proclaim his salvation day after day. So brothers and sisters, our worship as a way of life truly declares the glory of Christ. But worship is not enough. It's true. People can see the message. People can see the power of the gospel through our lives being transformed and changed by Christ. But again, that by itself is insufficient. The message will not be clear enough and the glory of Christ will not be fully understood and interpreted correctly without us explaining the content of the gospel that transformed and is still changing our lives. That's why we're also called not only to worship, but to proclaim Christ's salvation day to day. And just like creation testifies to the reality of an intelligent and powerful designer, but creation itself lacks sufficient information to explain who that creator is. And that's why God made himself known through special revelation. So in the same way, our ongoing worship of lives being transformed and restored, even though it reveals God's glory and power, that by itself is insufficient to explain who this God is that saves and restores sinners. And that's why you and me are called to declare the glory of Christ by articulating the message of our salvation. And for this, we need to grow together in comprehending with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of love of the love of Jesus Christ for us. In order for us to explain to the world how a righteous God who had all the reasons and evidences to condemn his disobedient creatures has chosen instead to rescue us and design this amazing plan of salvation where he himself became a man to take upon him our punishment and in this way fulfill all the requirements of the law to spare us. From eternal damnation. So in order, in order for us to declare the glory of Christ. And proclaim his salvation day to day. You and I. We need to open our mouths. And explain to the people. The amazing grace God offers to sinners in Christ. But what was in the minds of the ordinary use. When they were called to this responsibility. The Old Testament believers knew that Israel was Chosen to be a light to the nations of the world that surrounded them. And God gave them the pictures of the gospel. They had the pictures of the gospel in the tabernacle and in the temple. Through the centrality of temple worship, the Israelites were called to illustrate the gospel to the world. The sinner, because of his sin, he cannot enter God's presence. He was separated from God. And in order to be reconciled, he had to bring a lamb to the priest. The priest will sacrifice the lamb as the only means of forgiveness and reconciliation. And there, at the moment of the sacrifice, God was receiving the reconciling hope and grace through the successful work of the substitutionary lamb. The perfect lamb paying the penalty for our sins was the glory of every Old Testament saint. And even though some Jews did not get it because they were cut up in the rituals and the ceremonies, 
The glory of the temple was when the blood of the sacrifice lamb was poured out on the mercy seat, proclaiming to Israel and proclaiming to every other nation that sinners are justified and forgiven before God through the sacrifice of the lamb. Like the hymn says, the lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. The lamb was all the glory then. The lamb is all the glory now. The Israelites proclaimed the Lamb through prophetic shadow of temple worship. We proclaim the fulfilled essence of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So our calling and mission to declare the glory of Christ to the nations is proclaiming to the world that it is in the person and work of Jesus that salvation is given to all men of all nations. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, that all of this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. And there is no other way, brothers and sisters. God could have sent the angels to do this, but he did not design it this way. He could make the rocks or stones speak out the wonders of the cross, but that is not how God purposed it. He designed it and he intended it so that redeemed sinners who experience redemption themselves be the ideal instruments to go and implore the world in behalf of Jesus to be reconciled with him. Jesus' last command was this, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He promised that he will enable us through his Spirit's power. He promised that he will use weak, incapable, imperfect vehicles like you and me. But he said he will empower us. God wants to use you. To proclaim the gospel to your own safe family, to your own safe co-workers, to your own safe friends, to any unsafe stranger that crosses your way. And let me tell you this, you don't have to make a perfect presentation of the gospel because God can work even in weak vessels like you and me. You just have to love people enough to share what Christ did for you. And God promised he will give you the words. He will give you the words to speak. But you need to depend on the Holy Spirit to empower you. You are called to proclaim Christ in your Jerusalem, here in Atlanta. But you need to lift up your eyes and know that there is a world outside of Atlanta that needs Jesus. And you have the opportunity today to choose to go in any of the different mission opportunities that God is giving Gospel Hope. And let me tell you this. My mom, back in the Dominican Republic, she came to know the Lord through an American missionary called Joan Jones. The church I grew up in was planted by an American pastor called Richard Mayer. The Christian school I went to was founded and led by an American pastor called Paul Joles. When the Lord saved me, he used an American preacher called Bob Shelton who preached at my church for a weekend. When God called me to the pastoral ministry, God used three American guys who were in college studying for the ministry in Wisconsin. And they came down for a week. To work with the youth group. God worked mightily in my life. 
through people just like you who decided to go on long-term and short-term missions. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, out of gratitude and love to your Savior, embrace your mission and calling and assume the responsibility for which one day you will have to give account. But declare in your heart the very words of Paul, for the love of Christ controls, controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, we all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might not longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for their sake. And just like Paul, you and I need to determine with all our hearts that in spite of all our weaknesses, in spite of the flesh that battles against us, in spite of the world that tempts us, we must determine to live for Christ who died and rose from the dead for us. I've made up my mind by God's grace that I want no longer to spend and waste the remaining days of my life living for me, pursuing the sinful and worthless treasures of this world system. I want to live for Christ and for the gospel and for the kingdom. I want to live a mission, and God wants you to do the same. And by God's grace and by the Spirit's power, you can make that choice even today. Father, thank you so much for giving us a blessing of beholding your glory, of contemplating again your heart that sent Jesus to save us. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful that there's no other way in which we can respond than to say, Lord, send me. I love you. Send me. I want to declare your glory to the nations. I want to worship you before the nations. I want to proclaim your salvation day to day here in Atlanta. And in any nation, you give me the opportunity to go. In Jesus' name, amen.